Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Kimberly Agoen, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. As always on the Roundup, we're not just ticking off the headlines. We're taking you inside the biggest state and local stories of the week. Illinois public health officials are reporting 28 more deaths due to COVID-19 in the last day. Summer vacation is over and it is back to school for Chicago public school students. City Council also approved an affordable housing ordinance for Woodlawn. Operation Legend is working. 62% of the applicants that are in this lottery are owners are people of color. That's right. CPS begins the new school year with remote learning. COVID refuses to trend down in Illinois. Governor Pritzker is under fire for the way pot licenses are being dished out. And Attorney General Bill Barr takes credit for a downtick in crime in the city. Those are just some of the stories we're talking about with WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon. Heather, welcome back. Thanks for having me. And also with us is ProPublica Illinois reporter and columnist Mick Dumkey. Hi, Mick. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, yesterday Illinois reported nearly 2,000 new cases of COVID-19 and 28 deaths. And, you know, we're seeing spikes in cases at colleges and universities as they return to campus this fall. Heather, how is the state responding? They are hoping that they won't have to impose more restrictions in sort of regions that include universities. But there's no doubt that the number of students who've tested positive on college campuses after the school year started has been a disappointment to state officials. Uh, Governor Pritzker was very sort of upbeat and optimistic that a new test developed at U of I in Champaign-Urbana would keep that outbreak from sort of surging. That unfortunately did not happen. And I think everybody is really waiting to see what happens once the weather really turns and people are forced back inside for long stretches of time. Heather, you you mentioned the governor. Um, Here is a little statement that he made concerning COVID-19 restrictions. We can't outrun this virus. It hasn't gone away. Unless we get it under control, either by people following the doctor's recommended mitigations or with an effective treatment or a vaccine. We will be fighting to save the Titanic with a plastic bucket. Mick, how is this playing downstate? There's a couple of things here to note. First of all, uh, the testing numbers keep going up. So the positivity rate actually is still fairly low. Obviously, anyone who's sick or worse, uh, the fatalities are just horrifying to continue to hear about. But overall, uh, you know, the state is actually holding steady with its positivity rate, which I think is encouraging. And, you know, one of the reasons, uh, as Heather mentioned, the governor sounded optimistic. But uh, to your point, there's parts of of the state, by the metro east area, where I think it's uh, more than twice that number. It's over 10 percent right now. So uh, everybody's watching this really closely. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but... uh, conversations I'm hearing with my friends, family, uh, not just as a professional journalist, but everyone is really worried about the months ahead. Are we going to have more restrictions while we're all cooped up in the cold weather again? I think that's something everybody's concerned about. Definitely. And, you know, Chicago Public Schools kicked off the fall semester this week under a fully remote learning model. Heather, how is it going so far? 
It has gone okay. We learned just this morning that the number of students who showed up for that first day was much lower than had showed up for the first day in recent school years when uh, we weren't in the middle of the pandemic. School officials said they were disappointed by that, but, but pleased that that number seemed to grow throughout the week as perhaps more students and parents got a little bit you know, more familiar with logging on and, and sort of the whole remote learning thing. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's clear that remote learning is a real challenge for everybody involved. Yes. Students, parents, teachers, the, the whole nine yards. And you know what? So, Not everyone is thrilled about remote learning, Heather. On Tuesday, hundreds of parents and students gathered in Wheaton to demand in-person learning in school. So talk about that divide that we're seeing. You know, like so many issues in, in our society, it devolves around racial lines, frankly, because those parents in Wheaton were primarily white. They were primarily middle class or upper middle class, and they want their kids back in school because they are, you know, not as susceptible to catching this virus. Whereas you've got black and Latino kids in Chicago living in households where the chances of them catching the virus or them spreading the virus is, is much higher. And of course, the chances of somebody they love or, you know, interact with being hospitalized or even dying significantly greater. So, you know, it's one of those situations where there's no clear cut right answer. Um, we only have less bad options to choose from. And um, it, it's, it's a really it's a really challenging time uh, for everybody. We never want to hear less bad options to choose from, but <laughs> I, I totally understand what you're saying. Let's now turn to some news from Wednesday City Council meeting starting with the unanimous vote to protect affordable housing in Woodlawn. Mick, this was a years-long battle that ended in a compromise between the mayor and local activist groups. Yes, and as with all compromises, uh, you hear uh, some people celebrating, uh, hey, look, we got there, and others say, well, it wasn't really what we wanted. But the bottom line is, uh, yes, as the Obama Center uh, continues to move forward, plans for the Obama Center, there's been concern down in Woodlawn and surrounding areas about gentrification potentially pushing people out. Mm -hmm. So this compromise measure would allocate some resources and set up uh, an opportunity for some people to either hold on to their homes who are already homeowners in that area and others who are renters uh, potentially to buy homes. So uh, while it's not everything that some of the activists and even uh, aldermen uh, Jeanette Taylor, the 20th Ward Alderman, had hoped for. Uh, it certainly it seems to be uh, a real, a real, you know, initiative to try to give some people some assistance who may want to stay there if the if the values of homes and and rent start to change down there. Yeah, you know, Heather, let's talk about what the specifics were in the ordinance. So it's $4.5 million earmarked primarily for homeowners, and that was one of Alderman Taylor's big concerns is that it didn't do enough to help poorest residents of Woodlawn to stay in their apartments and to avoid having it sort of the building bought, renovated, and sold, which we've seen in other rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods. So it's, I think, accurate to say that this was sort of the compromise that all sides said, okay, well, at least this is something. Right. But the, the fact is, is that, you know, home prices in Woodlawn are already up more than 100%. And of course, the Obama Presidential Center hasn't even broken ground yet. 
So um, this is, you know, sort of the end of the beginning, I think, of this fight over what the presidential center will mean for Woodlawn and really the black low income people who have lived there for decades. Here is a little clip of Alderman Jeanette Taylor of the 20th Ward. It's a step in the right direction, but it does not get us all that we need. And so the fight will continue. We want to make sure that people are still not leaving Chicago because they can't afford to stay here. You know what, Mick? The Obama Presidential Center has not received that final approval, as Heather mentioned, from the federal government. But we're already seeing major changes in the area. Does the city's plan to go far enough in protecting low-income residents? Probably not. You know, this has been an issue, actually, in this area even before, you know, the Obama Center decided uh, to locate there. I remember going down there with the previous alderman, uh, Willie Cochran, and uh, driving around, touring the neighborhood with him, and him pointing to, you know, you have a vacant lot, and then just up the street you had a house, even then, that was selling for half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So I think this, this slow, uh, creeping rise of property values in Woodlawn has been happening for a while, and the Obama Center, as it appears to, to move forward uh, slowly, uh, this is just exacerbating things or, uh, you know, accelerating things. We also just recently lost uh, Dr. Leon Finney, who was a major presence in the Woodlawn area and someone who was a big proponent of the Obama library coming into that area. So it's just interesting that you're talking about uh, University of Chicago and Woodlawn and affordable housing. You know what, Heather, talk about a few other highlights from Wednesday city council meeting. Well, probably the other big ticket item was the ban that was approved by a vote of 46 to 4 on the sale of flavored nicotine vaping. So um, if you are one of those people who vapes cotton candy, uh, you're going to be out of luck if you want to buy that in Chicago. And the aldermen said they acted because it was really those sort of flavors are really targeting teens and have led to a real increase in the number of teens using tobacco and not even teens, uh, you know, young kids as young as 10. They moved to ban that, even though that was another compromise that really was embraced by neither side. The original proposal called for a ban on the sale of all flavored tobacco products. Uh, It was scaled back in the face of real opposition from business groups. That would have included menthol cigarettes, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. And that was a big thing for people, you know, because a lot of people smoke menthol cigarettes and it would have been sort of potentially a big blow to several businesses, bottom line. And the Illinois Retail Merchants Association said, look, basically, you can't do this to us. We have a pandemic that we're struggling to recover from. Many of our businesses were looted at some point this summer. So um, there's a lot of concern that it will push business out of the city, but several aldermen said, look, uh, so be it. These are products that hurt our children's health and should not be allowed to be sold. There also is a plan to hold budget hearings for the Chicago Police Department. That's right. So uh, next Thursday, the 17th, we will get a deep look at the the Chicago Police Department's budget. And this was um, part of another compromise that was called for by Alderman Raymond Lopez, who forced sort of an impromptu city council meeting a few weeks ago um, because he was so concerned about the surge in violence and looting that Chicago has experienced. And that will be a real interesting debate. um, And I think it will help shape that budget for the police department, which of course was $1.7 billion in 2019. Um, 
and many people want to see it cut, not only because the city has a huge budget deficit, but because they think that money is better spent outside the police department um, to better help Chicagoans. And they can't think that this is a great idea. The city council approved four legal settlements involving the Chicago Police Department totaling $6.6 million. That's right. Um, the largest settlement was $3.8 million for a former Chicago police officer, Laura Kubiak, who sued the city after she said she was retaliated against for basically alerting her superiors to misconduct by another officer. So instead of them sort of taking act action against the officer who she said harassed and threatened her, they moved her to the midnight shift, uh, prompting the lawsuit. Um, and there was the other big settlement was $2.25 million for the family of Paul O'Neill Jr., who was shot in the back by Chicago police uh, who were trying to arrest him on reports that he had stolen a car. I want to shift gears and talk about Mayor Lightfoot, specifically her pushback on U.S. Attorney General William Barr's claims that the additional federal agents he sent to Chicago may have helped bring violent crime way down in a matter of weeks. Mick, remind us how all this began. Donald Trump and the Attorney General basically said they were going to send in the feds to Chicago and some other cities uh, to try to help tamp down gun violence, and they basically reassigned some federal agents to Chicago starting in July. So we just saw William Barr drop into the city uh, Wednesday and basically say, look, uh, the numbers are already down, and, you know, sort of a back-padding campaign-style appearance from the attorney general. And uh, Mayor Lightfoot, of course, who misses no opportunity to spar with Trump or members of his administration, uh, basically said, no, not so fast. Uh, She actually said this is factually inaccurate. I believe the mayor's uh, comment is is not really supported by evidence yet either. The bottom line is that it's just too short of a period to know what trend is going on and why it is going on. Why do things go up or down? Uh, over the period of months or even years, uh, criminologists spend all sorts of time trying to sort through those questions. To sit, to come in here, parachute in here after a few weeks and basically say it's because of this or this is really kind of absurd. So, Heather, you know, no one from CPD or Lightfoot's office appeared with Attorney General Barr. Uh, he said he did meet with Superintendent David Brown, but CPD is also taking credit for the recent dip in homicides. There still were a lot of homicides. Talk about the politics at play here. It's a strange argument because by any measure, August was an incredibly violent month it in was. Chicago. There were 63 murders, which is really, um, you know, unprecedented in Chicago, um, dating back several, several years, even, you know, back to 2016, when, of course, it was another very violent summer. So these sort of claims of progress and dips are based on comparing July, which was even more violent, to August, which was still really violent. And um, I am by no means a crime data expert, but usually you want to compare year over year as opposed to month over month because that helps sort of smooth out any blips or, you know, sort of anomalies. We're also coming off of a violent Labor Day weekend where an eight-year-old child was shot and killed. So why would anyone be taking a victory lap right now? That's true. This is part of the president's law and order agenda. So the attorney general has basically, uh, is going around basically saying that the president's law and order 
uh, measures are already having an impact, and it's just election year politics. Illinois lawmakers and business owners are now calling for Governor Pritzker to press pause on the state's cannabis lottery. They say that black and brown folks are being shut out of the industry. Heather, how are these licenses being distributed? What we're sort of waiting for now is to see whether a lawsuit will stop the lottery, which will award 75 new licenses. Now, most of the people in the lottery qualified as a social equity applicant. And there were a couple of ways you could qualify for that. One, you could be a person who was convicted of a drug crime. You could have been a person who lived in an area where there were a disproportionately high number of arrests related to drug crimes, or you could be a firm that employs more than 10 people that meet one or two of those criteria. So the concern is, is that too few of the firms are actually owned by Black or Latino Illinois residents. And but, and but that, Heather, just given the last qualifying factor, yes. that doesn't even include ownership by Black right. or Brown people. So did they kind of set themselves up just with how they wrote the law for there not to be Black and Brown ownership? Well, there's certainly an argument to be made that they did. Governor Pritzker will argue that they did the best that they could and that no other state has done more than Illinois has done to sort of try to use this as a way to sort of repair the harm caused by the drug war. But for many people, it just fell short of the mark and wasn't good enough. And I think the question is, does Governor Pritzker sort of push through this criticism and go forward with the plan as it's laid out now? Or does this criticism force him to sort of reevaluate that and head back to the drawing board. I should note that these licenses should have been awarded in May, but were delayed by the pandemic. So the state is already behind its its timeline. Definitely. And two dozen groups who were denied licenses are now asking a federal judge to intervene. Mick, talk about some of the other concerns being raised around the lottery and the licensing process. Well, I think you're exactly right. First of all, the sheer numbers, there were 4,500 applications and only 75 licenses were being handed out. So uh, you can quickly do the math there that there are thousands of applicants who are going to be shut out of the process. There also has come out, uh, the Sun-Times had a story uh, yesterday in this morning's paper, the social equity licenses were also supposed to go to smaller time players. And so there was like you know, some firms with a guy who's part of a multi-billion dollar company who, you know, is tied to a couple of these firms that appear to make it through the first cut here. So, you know, to me, I, I keep thinking, you know, oh, wow, gambling in, in Casablanca. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> Illinois uh, awarding licenses for its, its next big revenue-generating industry, and it turns out that a bunch of insiders and power players uh, end up making the first round. I mean, I don't want to sound too cynical because this is something we really need to have a serious discussion about. Yeah. On the other hand, it's it's uh, unfortunately confirming the fears that many would have about the way things work in this state. Well, you know, in other state news, Illinois Republicans are calling on House Speaker Michael Madigan to testify before a special committee investigating his role in the ComEd scandal. We should note that Madigan has not been charged with any wrongdoing. Heather, talk about the significance of this moment. Well, it's interesting because this is really only the third time that this sort of committee has been convened 
It does have the authority to issue subpoenas and to hold hearings. The question becomes whether there are enough votes from Democrats to actually sort of give this process any teeth. And I think that's very much an open question uh, at this point. Um, you know, the other the, the only other thing is that we're also in an election season and it will be quite, you know, it will be, I think, peak Illinois. And maybe Mick will agree with me here that uh, House Speaker Madigan could actually see his supermajorities grow in the November election, which would give him more power and make it less likely that he would face any uh, consequences for the scandal outside the judicial uh, the system. Because we don't know, of course, who's going to be charged or when they're going to be charged. There's just a lot that we don't know about what will happen going forward. It's also interesting, election. Uh, Heather mentioned election year politics, that uh, Mike Madigan, of course, the head of the Democratic Party here, uh, is basically funding several of the opponents who of the Republicans who are on this committee looking into Mike Madigan. So, uh, you know, there are layers of, of the politics going on here. What stories will you both be watching in the coming days? Uh, let's start with Mick. Going forward, I think we're going to be watching some of the same things we're talking about today. Uh, COVID, how is that going to continue to trend? the law and order politics of Trump and some other uh, Republicans and also some Democrats locally. Uh, you know, how is that going to unfold, uh, especially as it relates to Chicago and its ongoing issues with handgun violence as we approach November? Mm. And how about you, Heather? Well, I will be looking for an update on COVID from Chicago Health Department Commissioner Allison Arwady on Wednesday. And then that bit, that hearing on sort of the police department's budget and how Chicago funds public safety operations is on Thursday. And those are going to be big, big moments for, for the city in sort of the two big crises facing us right now. Well, going back to the budget, the way that they're doing the hearings this year, uh, especially the public input is a little bit different than years past, Heather. How are they going to get input from the public? It's going to be virtual this year. So already the mayor's office has held a series of five town hall meetings that took place on Facebook. And then really what we're looking for next is right now, October 14th is when the mayor is scheduled to lay out her plan. And that will trigger about a month or so of city council hearings. And members of the public will be able to weigh in on those hearings virtually, because even though they usually mean eight to 10 hour days at City Hall, this is a, a whole new world for us because of the pandemic. That's Heather Sharon of WTTW and Mick Dumkey of ProPublica, Illinois. Heather, Mick, thank you so much, and we'll catch you back here next time. And that's WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Let us know what you think. We want to bring you the best in-depth rundown of the week's news, and we want to fit it the way you listen. Send your suggestions to reset at WBEZ.org. I'm Kimberly Agoen. Have a great weekend. Be safe. And we'll see you back here Monday for another Reset from WBEZ Chicago. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.